training that I had on Shelly and, you know, and do some debriefing or whatever that was there. But, uh, but, um, but I began to tell her, I said, you know, I said, um, see, we had a vacation that we've never had before. We've never really had a vacation where we went to go do nothing. Well, nothing, nothing, it's a hard word for me to even grasp the nothing thing. Because I am, some of you that know me more personally, I'm driven. I'm like, you know, I'm not a real good fisherman. Some of you guys that love to fish, that's great that you love to fish. But man, if I don't catch a fish in five minutes, I'm throwing the pole down. I'll go get a gun. I'll, I'll blow up the water. I'll find me some fish. I'm going to get something going on. You know what I'm saying? So I'm the type of person that if I'm sitting there doing what I would consider nothing, I'm like, okay, I got to go do something. I got to go do something. So I'm a real, I'm not saying I receive my worth by doing things. But there's just something there that, you know, I don't do well sitting behind a computer and just being there behind a computer all the time. And if you do, praise the Lord that God's anointed you to do that And uh, at times. But it was just like we're doing nothing. Now, we still read. We ca- caught up on some LDP stuff and read a book and, and read I read my scriptures that I asked you guys to read in Galatians and read through that and the Amplified Version. I read through that and then I ampl- read through Romans 5 through 8 and the Amplified Version. And we got a lot of stuff done and we got a chance to spend some time together and it was really nice. The Saturday before we went, I decided I would wakeboard. I've never gotten up on a wakeboard and after 15 tries, I've still never gotten up on a wakeboard. <laughs> some of us may consider getting up one second getting up, but uh, that's technicalities. I didn't get up and go very far. So, But it definitely limited the weekend because I threw out my back and I've had everybody praying for me and anointing me with oil and putting everything else on there. And it's I got a chance to, to rest and, and afternoon... Afternoon, we did a couple things like moved from the bedroom into the living room. And in a camper, that's not very far. <laughs> and then moved outside, and then it was hot, so I came back in, and then I went back out. And I said, oh, what did you do? I said, I threw the trash out. I need to take a nap. <laughs> I had more naps this past week that just be careful, because I could just go right now. You know, it's just those things happen. But I've never experienced the naps like I had. And Shelly's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm thinking I'm going to just take a nap. She's like, you just got one 35 minutes ago. I said, yeah, but after that 35 minutes, I got up and I put my Bible into the thing and I came back out and I got me some water and I put ice in the water and then it's time for another nap, you know. And I was thinking, and, and, and I, so that for me, it's hard. But where was I at? Critical stress incident management. That's... So when they, they, they actually talk about, you know, firemen and policemen, that they, they do what's called stuffing. They stuff their emotions inside of them, and it can become explosive. And they tell, um, they tell some of the, those guys that are involved and women that are involved in those types of vocations that they don't need to go on one week. They need to go on two weeks because it takes about three days for you literally to unwind. And then you have a day where you're really relaxed. And then the next three days you're winding back up for the next week that's coming. So they really want, you know, they want them to be able to get to a place where they've unwound. And then they've got time of relaxation for three or four or five days to where they can actually reach that. 
And I think come Wednesday, we finally reached that. I could see that within Shelly. I was like, hey, I think you're getting there now. Yeah, I think you're getting there now. Um, but, you know, there, there's, um, there's, just, there's just something about having that time. And a lot of times, some people enjoy and relax by doing something different than they do. But they're still busy. But I did have some opportunity to just really seek the Lord. And, and just while I was napping, and was laying unto the Lord. And, you know, I, and I do that. I just I talk to the Lord while I'm laying there. And I do that in the mornings when I get up and even at night when we lay down. And, you know, I'm just talking to the Father. And I'm just saying, you know, I love you so much. And, and I'm hearing things differently than I heard 10 years ago. Uh, maybe it was the perception that I have. Maybe it's a shifting in my belief system. Maybe it's where I've come from and come out of that I wonder if God can truly love me after the mess that I've been in, after the mistakes that I've made and the things that I've done. And, and there's some things that I wouldn't, don't even want to share with you openly that, that I've done that, that it, it, uh, to me it would disqualify me. And then as I continue to look in the scriptures and I say, you know what? Jesus is the only one that can requalify me. You know, he's the only one that can do that because of the things that I've done in my life where I've messed up. He's the only one that can bring me back in right relationship with Jesus. And that's good news. And I began to shift and as I've been looking at the Word of God and really beginning to understand it. And I told you, gosh, it's probably been eight or ten. No, it's been, yeah, about eight or ten months ago, 12 months ago now because it was last June. That when we got back, that I felt that I was going to shift on how I studied the Bible. That I was no longer going to study to teach. I was going to study to learn it. And then I would share with you what I've learned out of what I've got a hold of. And I'm still trying to work on grace (laughs) and righteousness. And, you know, others can grab stuff and they got it and they're just moving on to the next thing and moving on to the next thing. And they're about four or five, you know... I don't know if it's ahead or behind behind or beside or whatever, but they're just moving on with this other wisdom and revelation. I'm like still thick-headed and I'm going, I'm still trying to get hold of this. Still trying to understand where I want to operate sometimes in the law. And I know that God wants me to operate in the law of freedom. So I want to talk a little bit about tonight about mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs, triumphs over judgment. So if you've got your Bibles, let's just turn with me to James chapter 2. And I'm just going to lay down some things. I, I got an opportunity to do some reading and I read some stuff. And there's very few times, I'm not one, and you guys, many of you that have been here for 14 years while we've been here, I'm not one to every Sunday read an article. I read this article or I read that article or I read that article. I read articles and that, but a lot of times I don't bring them before you and read them. But tonight I really feel like that the Spirit wants this to be done tonight. So James chapter 2, first of all, we're going to go there. And then, then I'll have Marty put up some other scripture for you because um, I want us to just take a look at a few things. And Virginia, I want to thank you so very much for uh, the words that you've given. We've, we've listened to probably 75% of your message. Still got the rest to listen to. But the declaration that Sunday, if you weren't here, she began to declare some things that 28 years ago were spoken over this church. And what I heard was, now's the time. Now's the time. So you're in a good place. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're in a good place tonight. You're in a good place tonight. It's a safe place tonight, too. 
safe place tonight, too. Um, James chapter 2. Let's just look at, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, then I'm going to just focus on a couple scriptures. So, uh, if Sean, put that up, that'd be great, James. Okay, uh, chapter 2 starts, my brethren. You know, who's he talking to when he says, my brethren? Obviously, people of faith that, uh, that have, are followers of Christ. He says, do not hold to your faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And I think he's talking about with each other. You could go back in and read some of the, the, the scriptures beforehand where he's really talking about faith in that. Verse 2, it says, If a man comes to your assembly with a gold ring and he dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and you say, you sit in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down by my footstool. Years ago, I took this scripture, and I, literal, I took it literal. And I wanted to treat people how I wanted to be treated. And it didn't matter whether they came from a golden spoon in their mouth or they came from, like me, a plastic spoon or some no spoon. So you see that. And, and, and I want to always be that way because I believe that's important for God. So it's not really, it doesn't really matter. The, the Bible says it's, it's not the outward appearance that God's looking at. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart. And as we begin to see God really look at some things, He is looking at some things probably different than you think He's looking at them. He's not looking at you and condemning you. And I'm going to prove that tonight. Okay? If a man comes into your assembly, I did that. So you've not made a distinction among yourselves and you've become judges with evil motives. Verse 4. Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren. You can see James going to a different level. Beloved brethren is like an agape. So he's saying, my brethren this, and then he's going, oh, my even deeper agape love brethren. See what I mean? It's almost like he starts out at one level, and he's saying, hey, guess what? We're going deeper. So turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to go deeper tonight. We're going to go deeper tonight, beloved brethren. He says, he said, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor things of this world to be rich in faith or the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. It is not the rich man who oppress you and drag you into the courts. Do you not blaspheme in the fair name by which you have been called? Verse 8, he says, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture... I really feel that the Lord's going to really bring me into talking about the royal law at some point. It came out in prayer this afternoon. But he goes on and he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me say that again. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say you should judge your neighbor as you judge yourself. He didn't say you should dislike your neighbor as you dislike yourself. Because there's times I can look in the mirror and I can dislike what I see. I wish I had a little more hair. And then when I get more hair, I'm like, shall I cut this hair? It's too long. And then I listen to ladies say this about themselves and that about themselves. And women are, you know, they're more conscious of that than guys are. And I don't know. I guess it's just the DNA thing or something. I don't know. You know, women can look at themselves and be perfect figure and go, I'm too fat. And guys can look at ourselves and we're, we're we are too fat. And we look at ourselves and go, mm, yeah, yeah, that's a man, baby. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah, 
Hey, honey, you, you got a little extra weight here. Have a little extra ice cream. It's okay, baby. It's all right. <laughs> he says, you shall love your neighbor. Say, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's telling them they're doing well. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. So that means that you could not do well and probably hate your neighbor and you wouldn't be doing very well. But verse 9 he says, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. He's talking about a... Well, let me just go on. We'll try to unpack this thing. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. So somebody could say, you know what, if you, if you do this and, and it's wrong, then you're violating the law of transgression or transgressors. I got news for you, we've all violated the law of transgressors. He says, and you know what, he, said, he goes on and he says, you know, if, if you, you've commit one thing, you've committed all of them. How many of you know that in the Ten Commandments, if you broke one, you broke them all? You couldn't just say, I kept nine and I only broke this one. And he goes on and he says, look at, look at the, the next scripture, verse 11. For he said, do not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Somebody, somebody could say, well, I've, I've not committed adultery. Somebody else has. Pastor Eric did. He committed adultery. But I've not committed adultery. And then he goes on and says, he also said, do not commit murder. He says, how can you, you know, commit adultery and then not commit murder or commit, not, and commit murder and not commit adultery? He says, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. It's like if the glass has a hole in it, it has a hole in it. It doesn't matter how many holes the, the, the water, the milk, the juice is spilled out. It has holes. It says, he says, you have become a transgressor of the law. What law? The Ten Commandments? Sure. The law of Moses, that's what it's called in some circles. So if you've broken one, you've broken them all. And that's the thing, that's the whole thing about the Ten Commandments. Before the Ten Commandments, before the law was given, they didn't know they were a transgressor. Abraham didn't know he transgressed because there was no thing as sin to tell him this is right or this is wrong. And then the law came to tell us what was right or what was wrong. And all, of it, all it really did is point us to Jesus. Because everything through the law, I can't keep the law. I don't know about you guys. I've tried. And even though I've tried, and Paul was like, I can't keep it even though I tried. You know, things I want to do, I don't do the things I don't want to do. I keep doing them. Oh, my God, this law thing's just really got me messed up. <laughs> what am I going to do? I was going to deal with this body of flesh. I'm condemning myself. I just am no good. I'm rotten. I'm terrible. That's what, you know, that's what Paul was dealing with. And we've all been there, and we've all felt that way, and we've all done that. And he said, look, if you've committed one thing, one, you, you broke them all. It doesn't matter. If you broke one, you might as well have broke all ten. Or none, and nobody could break, nobody could really live and not break any except for Jesus. Okay, let me go on. I'm going to get there. Maybe tomorrow. Verse 12. He says, so speak and so act as those who are... To be judged by the law of what? Liberty. If you notice that he says, not the law of transgressor, but if you're going to be judged by the law of liberty, liberty meaning what? 
freedom. So we can judge others. We really shouldn't judge others. We can judge them by the law. And we've all going to fail. If we judge people by the law, we're all going to fail. We're not going to live up to that. I don't care who you are, how good you are, the things that you do. You're not going to live up to the law. You will not be able to live up to the law. The law was given so you wouldn't be able to live up to it. So you could actually come and say, Oh, I can't do it. i got to have somebody else to bring me in righteousness and his name is Jesus. Okay, can I get there? I'm going to try to get there real quick. So verses 12 and 13 is what I really want to focus on. And I've got that on my PowerPoint, those two scriptures there. If you want to, Sean, you can stick them up real quick. Verse 12 says, So speak and act as those who are being judged by the law of liberty. So James is like, here, look, you can, if you break this law, you're going to break them all. You break one, you broke them all. But here, well, here I'm talking to you, beloved brethren. But now I want you to act as though you understand the law of liberty. I want you to act that way. To what? The law of freedom. That you're not held back by the transgressor law, but you're operating in the law of freedom. Paul says this in the law of freedom. Basically, the things that I want to do, I, well, he said the things that I want to, he says, the law of freedom, he says, the things that I, I can do whatever I want to do, but some of the things that I do will not or may not benefit me. I got the freedom to do what I want to do. I got the freedom to kick that chair if I want to. It may not benefit me. I break my toe. Oh, gosh. Well, that was real smart. Well, guess what? It was consequences from my actions. Are you with me? So there's a law of freedom. Say freedom. freedom. So I began to start thinking about this mercy and, and mercy triumphs over judgment. And verse 13 is where I get this scripture from. It says, For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. In other words, if, you, if you're going to hold somebody up to the standard of the law and you show no mercy on their life, then you're going to be judged. By that law. Hello? Let me give, can I give you a biblical example that most of you know? The woman that um, the Bible calls an adulterous woman, um, when they brought her to Jesus and they said, according to the law, the law of transgression, she's committed adultery, she's supposed to be stoned. And Jesus, what did he do? Did he pick up a big old rock and bust her head wide open? No. In fact, just the opposite. Because he was operating in the law of liberty and the law of freedom. And he says, look, okay, you want to judge her? What about your sins? You got any? I'm paraphrasing. And that's what he did when he wrote in the ground. He was basically saying, hey, you without sin? Who wants the first rock? You cast the first stone. And they were like, mm, let me see. Uh, I think I might. Uh, I think I'll let her have some mercy. Are you with me? And you begin to walk away. And he said, no, where are they? They're all, they're all gone. So when you think about mercy, you think about compassion. When I think about mercy, I think about the kindness of God, listen, withholding judgment on my life. Hello? God showed His mercy. And the Bible says there are mercies new every morning. Mercies. New mercies. Like yesterday's are left over. He says, I'm not even going to bring yesterday's mercies into it. We're going to get you a whole new batch. Man, that's cool. So we begin to look at mercy that triumphs over judgment. And here it comes in and He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Next scripture. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So I want to look at that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Say that with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
You know, we play spades a lot, and and uh, and and I got a trump, and you know what I mean. I can trump, and my trump's gonna trump your card if it's an offsuit, a harder diamond, or a club. You know, my spade's gonna take that trick, and 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 I begin to think about mercy that way. Mercy will always triumph over judgment. In other words, let me put it this way: you will have victory with mercy over judgment. You could also say mercy. Forgiveness, the New Testament, grace will always triumph over judgment, the Old Testament, the law. Are you with me? Oh, come on, somebody. You getting this? It's not on my notes either. I got that from you today. So the New Testament has always going to trump the Old Testament. Do you hear that? Do you understand that? The New Testament has to trump the Old Testament. Because there are some things fulfilled from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and the New Testament fulfilled those, the law being one of them. Okay, so so when James talks about that, I I, I read this this uh, the, one of the prophets, Chris Valentine, and I read it in an article by his. And some of you may have read it, some of you not, but I just think it's fitting for the shift that we're in. Okay, just listen to this for a minute. This is by Chris Valentine. He said, it's been said that God does nothing in the affairs of man except they pray. Prayer is a catalyst for worldwide transformation. Prayer incites the angels, restrains darkness, releases nations into their destiny. Prayer is a key to revival, building bridges between what should be and what will be. The devil also knows the power of prayer and he understands that he can't stop us from praying. But he's the master of deception, and he tries to convince us that his destruction schemes are acts of God. So believers will not release the arsenal of heaven against him. Unfortunately, Satan has been more successful at deceiving the saints recently than he has for decades. One of the ways he has shrewdly crept into our society is by convincing the church that it's our responsibility to release the wrath of God against sinners. This authorizes the dethroned prince of darkness to kill, steal, and destroy while we stand aside applauding the demise of these ravaged people. To make matters worse, this evil prince frames the Lord of redemption for his crimes, poisoning the people of his passion, which caused many of them to reject his wedding invitation. Isn't the wedding about love? The wedding's not about judgment, is it? It's about love. Meanwhile, those who have been empowered to police this property lack discernment and assist these angels of light in their killing spree. He says the re-emerging of the doomsday prophets. In the last decade, the doomsday prophets seem to have come out of hibernation. In 1997, my own parents moved out of San Francisco Bay to avoid the wrath of the great earthquake prophesied to strike Southern California. This quake was going to destroy Hollywood for its immoral population of the media in San Francisco of its homosexual perversion. The word also predicted that Northern California would become oceanfront property. Anybody heard that prophetic word? My mom and dad relocated from the Bay Area to Lake Tahoe near Nevada, hoping to find find the prophetic no-fly zone. 
Just about the time my folks got settled, several, pro several prophets began to prophesy about the upcoming international famine. This became known around the world as Y2K bug. The bug was going to judge us for making our intellect a god. It was the perfect God scheme. The whole plan was to be hidden by our foolish confidence in man's brilliance. It seemed that the Lord had blinded every computer nerd in the world, keeping them from discovering too soon that we would all be starving over the lack of a digit. What a way to go. There would be rioting in the streets. People would be fighting off temptation to cannibalize their neighbors and children. Businesses and governments would crumble next. Some even predicted that, that this would start the mother of all wars. People streamed in mass to buy generators and gums to protect their food in the name of the Lord. Oh my. Needless to say, these preparations proved to be pointless. And my parents are still driving hours to reach the ocean. September 11, 2001 will forever be branded in the minds of Americans a monument to murder. America woke up to the sounds of people screaming, many of them on fire as they were exited the black smoke of the man-made hell. Explosions could be heard in the background as buildings crumbled and thousands were trapped in the would-be tombs. Weeping and wailing were heard for miles as people wandered aimlessly through the streets looking for their loved ones. Many jumped to their death from those flaming infernos. Deep sadness and fear blanketed the whole earth and news spread everywhere. People were crying out for the mercy of those who were still counted among the missing. People were glued to their TV sets, praying, hoping, and believing that life would emerge from the rubble. Do you remember that? Although the prophets of doom had not prophesied this disaster, declarations of darkness began to emerge from what's supposed to be the house of hope. Before we could ask ourselves why such a mindless act of horror would be uh, perpetrated on the lives of many innocent died that day, Numerous prophets began to proclaim that this terrorist act was God's judgment for sins of our nation. Their thesis was that God was angry over abortion, homosexuality, and pornography issues. So he decided to kill a bunch of people to make his point. Can you imagine the grief that beset those that lost loved ones? And now they're being confronted by an angry God who wanted to kill more people. This attitude reminds me of something Jesus said. In the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Slow learners, he says. It seems that many of God's prophets are slow learners as the whole new wave of prophetic judgment is being released over San Francisco, Northern California, and Hollywood again. These judgments are predicted on a huge misunderstanding of the New Testament prophetic ministry in the church today. The church needs to realize that the crucifixion of Jesus fulfilled the law and prophets. That's biblical. The church needs to realize that the crucifixion of Jesus fulfilled the law and prophets. We need to stop doing for the devil what he can't do for himself. Let's take a look at the goal of the New Testament ministry and a means of achieving it according to what Apostle Paul wrote. So let's, let's go to the next slide. Uh, 2 Corinthians, I think, I've got that up. I want to read 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21. He says, therefore, say therefore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Say ministry of reconciliation. What did Christ give us? 
the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's a Greek word called catalage. And it means total change. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I love this. And as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he goes on and he says two things come to light in these passages. Number one, the New Testament ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. That's the New Testament ministry. A message or a ministry of reconciliation. Number two, the way God reconciles people to himself is not by counting their trespasses against them. Can I say that again? Number two, the way God reconciles people to himself is not counting their trespasses against them. In the Old Testament, the primary role of the prophet was to decree judgments for national transgressions because sin required judgment under the law. In the Old Testament, sin required judgment under the law. Are you with me? He says, but in the New Testament, the crucifixion of Christ paid the price that judgment required, thereby fulfilling justice and ultimately releasing mercy to millions of sinners who didn't deserve it. People like you and me. A violent act of grace. It never seems to dawn on some believers that we didn't get into the kingdom through our works, but through His, Christ. That's how we get into the kingdom. Sinners who discipline themselves into good behavior are still sinners who are in need of a Savior. They can be good and try to keep the Ten Commandments. It's not going to get them into heaven. Come on, somebody. It's not going to get them into the kingdom of God. It's believing on Jesus. He goes on and he says, No one can behave their way into heaven. Trying to get into heaven through disciplined behavior is called self-righteousness and it's ugly to God. Self-righteousness is ugly to God. Jesus said this, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. That's Luke 16, 16. The law said you can't come into the kingdom because you haven't kept the rules. The prophets continued the same thing, proclaiming judgments on the world of our wickedness, our wickedness. But then suddenly something amazing happened. Unrighteous people began turning to the cross of Christ into a battering ram and through the violent act of grace forced their way into the kingdom. That's what I did. And that's what you've done too. We were unrighteous people before Christ, weren't we? We couldn't live up to the law of those things. We're still unrighteous. And now all of a sudden we began to use a battering ram and said like, we're coming in. We're going to receive that grace of God. I'm going to receive that mercy upon my life. His love and compassion. His mercy against the judgment upon my life through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me go on. The law said you can't come into the kingdom because you haven't kept all the rules. The prophets continued the same thing, proclaiming judgments on the world of their wickedness or our wickedness. And then suddenly something amazing happened. Unrighteous people began turning to the cross of Christ into a batting ram. And through a violent act of grace, 
They forced their way into the kingdom. Shaking it out. Jesus said this. He told us that we are the salt of the earth and the salt has become tasteless. How can it ever be salty again? It's no longer good for everything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. It's Matthew 5.13. In Jesus' day, they didn't have refrigerators to store their food. Salt was the primary means by which the preservation of their meat and poultry. This is the analogy. The Lord is teaching us that the church is the elementary, excuse me, is the element in society that preserves a culture from the wrath of God and the destruction of evil forces. The Lord is teaching us that the church is the element in society that preserves the culture from the wrath of God and the destruction of evil forces. A great example of this is Joseph, who released a corporate blessing through his righteous life. His presence in Egypt caused the Israelites and the Egyptians to be spared from a worldwide famine. Jesus also said when the salt becomes tasteless, it's not good for anything except to be walked on by men. In other words, the people of that day would taste the salt, and if it was no longer salty, they, would, they wouldn't keep it there to use for their food for spoiling. It's important to remember that Jesus not, was really not talking about preserving meat, but he was describing the body of Christ. So what does it mean to become tasteless? That implies that we have stopped preserving the world. You can tell when the church has become tasteless weak because we begin to prophesy against the people we're supposed to be preserving. He goes on and he talks about representing Christ or representing Christ. Not only is the church preservation salt, but we are also the revelation light. In the book of Matthew, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Matthew 5, 14. What does it mean to be light? And what is it that we're illuminating? Are we shedding light on the nature of God? How He thinks and acts in the affairs of men? Are we, or excuse me, we are the revelation of the Father and His love letter to the world? What are we given the world? We represent Christ to the lost. The world looks to us to understand world events through the eyes of God, and we misrepresent our Heavenly Father. The world gets a warped perspective of God. Who caused the tsunami? God did. That's a warped perception of who caused the tsunami. John and James, or excuse me, James and John are a good example of how, how we may represent, misrepresent God. The sons of thunder, remember that name? They wanted to call down fire to consume a city. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what spirit you're of. Luke 9, 54 and 55. It's interesting to me that this was the same time that John wrote to the beloved and exhorted us. Not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits to see if they were from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, 1 John 4, 1. I imagine that he received the revelation even when Jesus' own apostles could be influenced by hell through their own experience of listening to the wrong spirit. Notice how this exhortation continues in the same chapter. This, he's talking about 1 John 4 and 1 John. Let's go to 4, 1 John 4.18. Shauna, you put that up. This is a scripture that we've got to get in our spirits. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. 
And the one who fears is not perfect in love. These verses were written in the context of testing spirits. If you go back previous in the chapter, you can read where he talks about testing the spirits. Okay? And then he comes into this, and he talks about the, there's no fear in love. When we read love's virtues that are spelled out in the letter of Corinthians and understand that fear has no place in love, we find ourselves wondering what spirit is encouraging these judgment prophecies. The greatest tragedy is the revelation the world receives from these voices causes them to believe that our Father is an angry God who is looking for an opportunity to punish people. The Apostle John laid his head on the chest of Christ and was transformed from angry son of thunder into John the Beloved. It's time for the prophets of God to lay their head on the master's chest and to hear the heartbeat of heaven again. Jesus said, if the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If you're the light of the world and we're speaking against people who are already lost in the night, how great is the darkness? In the same way, when we represent or represent God as someone who wants to destroy America because 40 million babies have been aborted in our country, we perpetuate the very problem that we are trying to cure. People are killing their babies because they don't understand the love of the Father. Does it make sense that when we tell people that God is so angry that we're killing our young that he's going to teach us a lesson by killing a bunch of more people? Is our father so single-dimensional in his being that he only has one response to anything that man does wrong? Can you imagine the negative impact that it would have on your daughter if she came to tell you that she had an abortion and in response you flipped out and tried to kill her? If you reacted out of rage... I would suggest that your lack of love is a large part of her decision to have an abortion in the first place. Wow. When we reveal the God to this world, excuse me, when we reveal God to the world, it is essential that we communicate light, life, and love. Love doesn't punish or create fear. I personally don't believe that God is mad at sinners. I do not think that he's grieved over the world's destructive behavior. But excuse me, I do think he is grieved over the world's destructive behavior. But grief and anger are not the same thing. Love requires a free choice. He finishes up and we're going to finish. Every time we see the heartless acts of destruction that deeply wound the heart of God, we must remember the depths of God's desire to share love. The nature of love is that it requires us to be able to choose. If God took away our choice, people could only behave in a way that God programmed them to. Wars would cease. Hunger would end. Poverty would be an ancient memory. But the desperate cry of a human heart that beats with passion for a loving relationship with the most beautiful being in the entire universe would be gone. Day after day, a loving creator looks down on a broken planet, longing for the day when his object of his affection will walk hand in hand with him into indescribable beauty in the halls of eternity. In the meantime, 
the destruction continues. Not because God is angry with man, but rather men choose to kill, steal, and destroy. This is the fruit of those who have chosen the wrong lover, Satan. Meanwhile, a hateful enemy is stalking a wounded and desperate people. He is seeking to paralyze us with fear, demoralize us with his arrogant boasts of destructive patterns, and harden us with hopelessness. Yet still, the future belongs to those who pray. Prayer is the bridge between what should be and what will be. The diligent prayer of a righteous people will ultimately determine the destiny of our children. Therefore, it is our responsibility to leave those yet to be born in a world in revival as their inheritance. Come on. Hanging in the balance of eternity with the ultimate climax of our Creator, the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our God. Amen? Can we give the Lord some praise for that last statement? And I know you're going to hear it, and I've heard it, but mercy always triumphs over judgment. And for the past year and a half, the Lord's taken me in to look at judgment at different angles and look at it and see how it is. And I'm telling you, the judgment, the cross isn't there yet, but the judgment is satisfied on the cross. He's not judging you for your sin, although I do sin. Sin literally means to miss the mark. I miss the mark. But I have an advocate with the Father, keeps me in right relationship with God. I'm cleansed of my sin. Come on, somebody. And I'm still in right relationship with Him. And that's what it's all about. It's not about the law. It's not about the Ten Commandments. It's about Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He so loved the world, He didn't hate the world. And Jesus said, look, hey, don't you, don't God, don't take them, they come out of the world. In fact, leave them in the world because it's got to be their love. And he said, Peter, how much do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Yeah, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Yeah, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And it's got to be about love. If we're, if we're missing the point of love, then we're missing it. We're missing it. This doesn't mean anything if we can't do it and we can't get an understanding of what love is. Virginia shared a little bit. I mean, what God's looking at, He's not looking at you and mad at you. If we're going to give somebody some good news, why don't you tell them that God begins to start seeing them and their plan and their purpose and their destiny and that they're a child of the Most High God, that they're royalty and that they're the head and not the tail. You can't tell me that doesn't infuse something in you and you can say, I don't know that God, but I'd like to know that God and I'd like to know that He sees me that way and I know that He sees me that way because He can't see my sin through the blood of Jesus Christ because Jesus has cut it off. He can't see the sin. Prove it in the Word. There it is. got to take that and say this is good news I got some good news today what's the good news the economy's terrible things are difficult people are losing jobs and they're jumping out of buildings and all this other stuff but the good news is that God loved us so much that he sent his son and he loved you so much that he made a way for you to be able to get into a relationship into the kingdom of heaven through his son Jesus Christ that's good news because he loves you amen and we're in a world where there's not a lot of people that love a lot of people And that's what's going to set us apart. No, you didn't hear me. That's what's going to set us apart. Is sin right? No. Is it wrong? Yes. Listen to me. It's very wrong. It causes problems. Am I going to be judged for my sin? I've been judged for it. What about tomorrow? Will I be judged tomorrow? No. Why? 
I've been judged. What about the next day? I've been judged. I don't want to consciously sin. I don't believe anybody that loves Jesus wants to just go out and sin. Just be flippant in the face of God and just do that stuff. Whether it's bondage that's held in us back, whether it's the lies of the enemy, we've been talking about renewing your mind, listening to the lies of the enemy. It's those things that, that, that gets us to do things we don't want to do. But remember this. He's taken our judgment. Past sins, present sins, and what? Future sins. Does it give me the right to go out and sin? No, no. Paul talked about it in Romans. No, I don't want to do that because in grace will bound that much more. I thank God for the grace. For my, his undeserved favor on my life. So the prophets, the doomsday prophets, he dealt with this. They're going to prophesy judgment. And hasn't it already been judged? And that's the question that the Lord asked me. Did I not judge that on the cross? When the tsunami hit Japan and they were saying it was God upset with Japan. Well, if God's so upset with all that stuff and, and you got to go in through and suffer some stuff, then what about the people in Africa? Don't you think they've suffered long enough? What about people in India? Don't, how long you got to suffer for the Lord? He's not talking about that. He's not talking about that at all. There are some hard things that we go through, but we have to know where we are on the cross with Him. Amen? And then he's come down from the cross and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And guess where we are there? With him. Right? So we can stay at the cross or we can jump into the throne room. Amen? And I'd rather jump into the throne room and be seated at the right hand with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And begin to start. We're going to start. We're going to talk about prophecy. We're going to be talking about prophesying. And we're not talking about prophesying judgment and doom and gloom. We're talking about prophesying destiny. Prophesying plan. Prophesying purpose. Prophesying value. I talked to some people today or, or this week and they, they just felt like they didn't have any value and I just started speaking value into their life. You matter. You matter to who? I don't matter to my wife. I don't matter to my kids. I don't matter to my family. You matter to him. And he created your wife, kids, and family. But you matter to him. There's value. Will you stand tonight? It was pretty heavy tonight. It's Chris Volatin, by the way. You get upset, email him, write him. But I would say, you know, mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me say that again. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Will you let mercy triumph over your judgment? There's a lot of times we personally want to judge ourselves because we think that's how it should be. Well, why don't you just let mercy overcome that judgment? Is that all right? Let's just pray. Father, I just pray your compassion, your kindness, God, your mercy upon our life that just basically comes to a place where we are not held in judgment, that we've been released from that by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I thank you that mercy will always override judgment. I thank you that grace will always override sin. I thank you that the New Testament will always override the Old Testament. So, Father, I thank you that your love will always override the law. And let us operate in the law of liberty. Let us operate in the principles and the precepts of being free to love you. Free to be able to spread the good news that you do love us. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter where we're at, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, 
You are a child of the Most High God. If not, then guess what? You do enter into a judgment. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but there is judgment for them. And that is not going to be good. So we've got to give them the good news that they can pass from darkness to light. We just pray blessings over this. Let this word just permeate in our being this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thank you. We're glad to be back. Have a wonderful evening, and uh, God bless you.